see you all this morning. Let's take our bulletin and look down through the announcements. Verse of the week. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3, 16. Uh, Sunday school, 9.30, uh, right here in the auditorium. Communion service today. So following the worship service, take a 10-minute break, regather for the Lord's table, and then a dinner will follow. If you were unaware or unprepared in some way for that, please stay and have dinner with us. There's always plenty, and we'll fellowship together. After the dinner, meeting of deacons and elders, prayer meeting this week, uh, the next installment, number four, in the uh, Dr. Sproul's lecture on Moses and the Burning Bush. Uh, so far, it's kind of been introductory, so I think it's going to kind of start getting into the meat of it this coming time, so don't feel like you're left behind. Uh, just, uh, just come, and uh, I'm sure that uh, it'll be a blessing, uh, that teaching. I uh, see Al there at Ferguson's room 29. Uh, keep him in prayer. The legs are still swollen. Uh, sign up sheet for the um, Health, Wealth, and Prosperity from uh, Justin Peters. And I see the disc is back, so if, you're, if you've been waiting, uh, you can take that. Uh, also, take note of our streaming. New Acts and Facts. It says it's a lot. Take one of those. And, you know, even if you don't like read every word, take one home and just thumb through it. You'll get something out of it. They're just so good. And uh, they're just sitting out there. And if you don't use them, I don't know where they go, but they don't get used. So, so take one home or read it and pass it on or, or whatever. So, all right. Um, and don't forget then to uh, <coughs> look on the left side there when it, where it says Our Church Praying. Lots and lots of stuff. Uh, lots of people ill. You see, again, uh, don't forget Starla's nephew, Riley. Chris, you see Chris is home. Uh, praising the Lord that uh, Pam and Dale are in good shape after the accident. They're here this morning. Uh, Laura's mom, not, not doing good. Don't know exactly what's going on there. Cliff, of course, Donna's really not doing well. Don't forget to pray. Put that up on your refrigerator. Remember those things through the week. Okay. Karen Lynn, which is Bernadette's mom. Um, Bernadette's mom. Okay. Yep. Oh, in the morning. Okay. Vicki Lilly. All right. Um, okay. Thank you for those updates. Uh, scripture for meditation then. Turn to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, read 12 through 33, 1805 in the Pew Bible. 2 Corinthians 11, 12 to 33.
thankful again for uh, this another opportunity, this another Sunday morning that you've given us, and that you've allowed us to gather here together, you've brought us together, you've given us a place, uh, this building, that we might come and worship you in comfort. Lord, I ask that your word would do its work. Thank you for your servant, our pastor, who has all this past week been in study, that he might bring something out that you would have us hear. I pray that we be attentive. Thank you again uh, for your spirit who uh, dwells within, that uh, opens and teaches the heart uh, from the scriptures. I pray, Lord, uh, that that would be the case, that we would be receptive, that we would hear, uh, but as James says, that we would not be hearers only, but doers, that we might uh, put our faith in action, that we might work, make application of the scriptures to our lives, that we might be a lighthouse to the world around us, those who know us, that we might reflect Christ. Ask that through the, uh, your word, Lord, that the gospel would go forth from this place. Uh, bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing. <coughs> we say you read hymnals this morning. 299 is our first hymn. 299 in the red.
in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, and we'll read the third chapter, 1854 in the Pew Bible. 2 Timothy 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, having, no, having nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for the salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I ask that the Lord bless the reading of his word. <coughs> Please take your brown hymnal this time, 484, 484 in the brown hymnal. Oh, well. 
Our scripture text this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 3. Our last study focused on the subject, the hurt of unjust suffering. That is, suffering which comes your way, not for something bad you did, but for something good that you did. Talk about things going wacko. But we see this all the time in our society. That is, the good being punished, the wicked being prosperous. What you need to know is as old as the Bible itself. Solomon writes, There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve and wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 14. So there's nothing new under the sun. This has been going on for centuries. The normal principle in life is that we reap what we sow. What comes our way is an outgrowth of our own behavior. And yet there's this other principle that we looked at, a principle, a second path that's not a curse, but a way of God's blessing. And the blessing is this, that we are blessed for suffering unjustly, that is, for doing right in a wicked world. Now, you're not going to be blessed by the wicked for that. What I'm talking about, you're going to be blessed by God for that. And really, it's his blessing that counts, doesn't it? And when we think about life and we think about rewards and so forth, we think of the approval of God Almighty. We looked at some of the blessings for suffering, for righteousness' sake. Number one, there's the blessing of a confident faith. We read it today, all who wish to live a godly life will suffer persecution, Paul says. So it's the badge of identity with Christ. If you're not suffering anything for your faith, you need to examine to see if you're in the faith. I don't mean, are the police knocking at your door and going to haul you off to jail? That is happening in third world countries. It may be coming our way in the United States eventually. But we suffer in other ways for being Christians, if we're living out our Christianity. Secondly, there's the blessing of following in Christ's footsteps and for the same reason, suffering unjustly. The Lord's lot in life was such that he suffered unjustly. Thirdly, the blessing of accurately representing the good news of the gospel. By that I mean that people see that your life has changed and they say, what's what's with you? You know, you have an opportunity to explain. I might say it this way, you are the Bible that people read. You, your life, is the Bible that they read. They're not into the book, but they're watching you. And if they see your deportment in such a way that evidences grace when they would get angry and they would become bitter, they are then questioning what's different about you. Number four, there is the blessing of a clear conscience amidst malignant Slander. We looked at the life of Joseph. Joseph of old slept well at night because his conscience was clear. He's in a dungeon. He still slept well at night because his conscience was clear before God. They said wicked things about him, but they weren't true. And so 
He knew they weren't true. He was happy with that in his own mind and trusted God. Well, today's study zones in on the theme, the hurt of abuse. And I would ask for special prayer for this message. It's a tough one to preach. It's probably going to be tougher on you to hear. But it needs to be said, and we need to learn what God's Word has to say about this subject. Lord, bless us and be with us by your Spirit. Send your Spirit of comfort to us and understanding. Help us, Lord, to not have our heads buried in the sand, but to understand that we live in a wicked world. And yet, it is a world controlled by you. And you take note of all the wickedness. Everything's recorded in your book. Nothing slips by. Nothing will go unpunished. We pray that you will help us to understand that and appreciate that. We pray, too, that because of that, we would commit our lives to you. No matter what we experience, no matter the trouble we go through, that God may be glorified in our lives, changed lives, yes. Glorifying your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at the subject this morning, the hurt of abuse. And you'll notice firstly in your bulletin outline, the first point is that abuse is an overworked term. Our society tend, tends to go in tangents. One cannot pick up a newspaper, one cannot read a magazine or view a television newscast hardly without some reference being made to abuse. We hear about child abuse, sexual abuse, employer abuse, government abuse, spousal abuse, position abuse, teacher abuse, financial abuse, senior abuse, etc. Agnosium. The list is almost endless. By the time you read through the whole list, everybody is being abused. And if we feel sorry for ourselves, we might say, well, count me in the abuse list. The general idea behind the use of the word abuse, if you just look at the word itself, the word means to use something or someone in a wrong way. That's what abuse means, to misuse something. If I took a steel, a steel wrench and used it to drive nails into a board, the wrench would become all scarred and boogered up. Why? Because... Wrenches are made for tightening and untightening bolts and nuts, not for pounding nails into boards. And someone would say to me, well, you abused that wrench. Look at it. It's a mess. Well, depending on how badly I whack nails with it, the wrench may cease to be even functional. I should have used a hammer, but I didn't. I abused the wrench. I used it for something is not intended to be used for. Now when we bring the word abuse into human relations, we again need to be careful that we do not call something abuse which may not qualify as abuse. For example, in my counseling ministry, I've had a number of wives say to me that their husbands have abused them sexually. When I investigated further, what I discovered was that these women were designating as abuse 
what was nothing more than a husband's desire to make love to his own wife in the privacy of his own home. Because she may have had a headache or too tired or too preoccupied with other things, she claimed that her husband sexually abused her. What she meant was he acted contrary to her wishes. Do you know that God's word has to govern all of our lives? It has to govern human sexuality as it governs everything else that we do. We cannot label something abuse that God has ordained and called right behavior. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 7. The opening verse is there. Verses 1 and following read this way. Paul writes, since there is so much immorality. Now he's writing to the Corinthian church and you would not have found a more licentious and wicked city sexually than Corinth. In fact, if they wanted to insult you in the days of Greece, Greek and Roman Empire, as being someone that was sexually full of license, you didn't care what you did with your body, they would call you a Corinthian. Oh, he's a Corinthian. What do you expect? So here's what he writes. Since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. And in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. And then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. One of the biblical mandates for marriage is to avoid immorality. Well, there's a light bulb. Adultery. Fornication. God wants sexual expression to be within marriage alone, and the whole idea of fidelity in marriage has as its underpinnings that part of the wedding vow which we say to each other, which goes something like this, will you, and then the name, forsaking all others, be faithful to her so long as you both shall live. Will you, and there's the other name, forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you both shall live. And the answer is to be, I will. I will. God knows that we're sexual creatures. That's fine. He made us that way. But that being so, he demands that our sexuality be expressed within the bonds of marriage. And this text in 1 Corinthians 7 is something that would be very offensive to a modern day thinking in the feminist movement. Why? Because Paul says that whether husband or wife, we have a marital duty. Oh, he uses the word duty. Not to deprive one another of sexual intimacy and to support this, he states that God's will from the day of creation onward was this, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but to his wife. Verse 4. 
This being so, Paul drives home this point. Do not deprive each other, except by mutual consent. And for a time, maybe for prayer or some other spiritual exercise. And then verse 5, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you. What's the temptation? The temptation is to infidelity. Come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. How absurd to enter marriage as though it could be simply a platonic arrangement without sexual expression and then to accuse one's spouse of sexual abuse because he or she wished to consummate his love in that intimacy. Do not, brethren, do not buy into the psychobabble of psychologists and counselors whose agenda in counseling is too often victim-oriented instead of searching for the real and deeper issues. Now, a couple that's having trouble in these areas, they, they can be helped. But the answer is not to say, oh yeah, there's a lot of abuse going on here. Not according to God's word. Maybe there is abuse in some other area, but not in this particular way. So we buy into these things and we say, well, you know, there's this abuse and this is what's going on. A lot of marriages end up on the rocks because their thought was not, their thinking was not biblical. Now similarly, similarly, because of truly horrendous stories of children being tortured, beaten, deprived, starved to almost within an inch of their lives, society has concluded that if a parent spanks a wayward child, such spanking is, what? Child abuse. The Bible didn't come up with this, but society's come up with this. Even though Michigan law was not, has not gone that far, the social pressure is out there not to lay a hand on a disobedient child, even if they are throwing a temper tantrum, even if they're being hurtful to a fellow sibling, here he is, he's pounding the other kid on the head with his wooden toy, but where's it say, now, now Johnny, don't do that. That's not, not very nice to do that to your sister. And Johnny looks at you, spits in your eye, and does it again. Is spanking child abuse? Well, if it is, then God is guilty of child abuse. See, why would you say so? That's, that is such a horrendous thing to say about God. Yeah, I know. Because I'm pretty sure, I'm confident that spanking your child is not child abuse. Listen to the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 6. The Lord, he's writing here, the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as son. What's his discipline? He sends hardship into your life. He goes on. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and you're not a true son. Oh, they're pretty strong. Moreover, 
We have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Hebrews 12, verse 6 through 11. Just put it in the vernacular for you. The writer of Hebrews says, God spanks his kids. He does. He brings pain into our lives that we might share in his holiness, that we might be trained to go the path of holiness. Why why the discipline? Because we're not going the path of holiness. We're going down this other path that's wrongful, sinful, wicked. And he's saying, no, 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 you're not going to go down that way. You're going to go this way. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And he brings discipline into our lives to turn us around. So we should not find it surprising then that this same God records in the Old Testament instruction for parents. Let me read some of these verses real quick. Discipline your son for in that there is hope. Do not be willing, a willing party to his death. Proverbs 19 verse 18. Does that sound to you like the discipline or the spanking is going to kill this kid? Discipline him, for that's hope. And don't be a party to his death. Hmm, must be some restraint there. Okay, let's read on. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Folly doesn't mean silliness. We don't spank our kids for being silly, unless we've told them to stop being silly. talking about that kind of unbelief, that kind of arrogance that says the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. You're not my boss. Again, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14. There again. Do you see that? The use of the rod isn't going to kill him. Why isn't it going to kill him? Because your restraint. Again, the rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Proverbs 29, verse 15. And other Proverbs say he disgraces his dad too. And then just two verses later, Discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. The reason so many homes are frazzled today, parents are frazzled because they don't know what to do with their kids. Why don't they know what the kids? Because the socialists, sociologists, and the psychologists are saying if you spank them, that's child abuse and we're coming to get you. Or we're coming to take your kids away from you. And all this being so, even Christian parents are tempted to spare the rod and spoil the child. 
By the way, that's from a poem from Samuel Butler in 1662. Really, is that going to be our philosophy? There's some truth in that, and he got it from the Bible. We do not want to be accused of child abuse, and we do not want our friends of the world to think ill of our parenting skills and how we raise our kids. But we need to think of the child. We need to think of him or her and how they will turn out. We need to think of obedience to God for a good outcome in the rearing of our godly offspring. Save his soul from death. Proverbs 23, verse 13. The term abuse is overworked to the point of losing its impact. Everything's abuse this day, in these days. We need to watch that. We need to be discerning. Now, secondly, there is real abuse in our wicked world. That's point two in your outline. Despite the overuse of the term, abuse does occur in our society in almost every segment from the very, very young to the aged population and everyone in between. Recently, the Michigan legislation has passed 10 elder abuse laws that weren't on the books before. Some of these bills have been in the legislative pipeline since 2009. And I've been involved in advocating for passage through my work with VAAA, VAAA is Valley Area Agency on Aging, and my seat on the State Advisory Council, which is an appointed position by the governor. Let me give you a sampling of these bills. Just a sampling. Senate Bill 461. By the way, these have all passed. These are all law now. They've all been signed by the governor. Senate Bill 461 prevents a person from benefiting from the estate of a deceased person if the person who is to receive the benefits has been convicted of abuse, neglect, or exploitation of that senior. That's a good law. You know why? They were abusing mom and dad or their senior so they would die so they could get the inheritance. Oh, that's cruel. You shouldn't say that. That's what was going on. Senate Bill 466 establishes a public notification system for missing seniors similar to the Amber Alert for missing children. Well, we need that. Some of the elderly walk away from their own houses. They walk away from the homes that they're in. Senate Bill 454 allows vulnerable adult victims to give court testimony via closed-circuit television or pre-recorded video. You wouldn't think you'd have to write laws like this, would you? When it comes to court, they say, ah, nah, nah, nah. the law says I have a right to face my accuser. Where's my accuser? She's home in bed with a broken hip or what have you. So this law says, you know, we can videotape. This is modern day, right? We can use some technology here. We can videotape the person's testimony. Bring it to court. Senate Bill 459 increases the penalties for the financial exploitation of vulnerable adults and strengthens the punishment for criminals who fraudulently obtain a, signatures, a senior's signature. See, this is about money. They go into the bank, and they got mom's signature or grandma's signature. We just had a case in Flint 
where a man, a son, took $150,000 out of his father's bank account that was paying for his home. He was in a, in a rest home. Now the man is destitute. And you and I are paying that on our taxes. Senate Bill 462 establishes reporting requirements for employees of long-term care facilities when they suspect or have knowledge of abuse and neglect at that facility. So they're saying, you know, if you work in a nursing home and you see something going on, you are now obligated to report it. You say, oh, gee, I thought that should have been on the books a long time ago. Well, it wasn't. Senate Bill 465 strengthens penalties for criminals who embezzle from seniors. The crooks uh, show up in Michigan every springtime. Let me tell you, they do. You say, what do you mean? I say, the guys coming out, they're going to, they're going to redo your driveway. Yeah, it's only going to cost you $4,000. And they come in there with black paint, paint the, the gravel, and you pay them $4,000 and off they go. Senate Bill 468 prohibits a court magistrate, a court magistrate from refusing complaints of abuse against vulnerable adults that are filed by someone other than the alleged victim. What an important law. Well, they didn't complain. No, but the neighbor was observing it, and the neighbor has complained. Can't accept that. It's just hearsay. This law says, no, 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 just wait a minute. The neighbor can complain. Well, it has to be investigated. It's not a for sure thing. Investigation has to go on. But they can make the complaint, and the magistrate cannot just dismiss it because grandma herself or grandpa himself did not make the complaint. Now, 10 of these bills have gone through the court system or the legislative system of, of Michigan in that past. Eight additional bills are still in committee and they deal with everything from full disclosure of people listed on joint bank accounts within, with the senior to the training of and providing immunity for financial institutions who report suspected financial abuse. Someone comes into a teller in the bank and they're going to withdraw $150,000 out of, of so-and-so's account just because their name's written on the account. The bank officials, their antenna ought to go up. Beep, beep, beep. What is this for? My, the horror stories I have heard of seniors who are destitute. They're down to zero because a grandchild or a son or daughter built them for all they have. They don't stay around in the city or in the state of Michigan once they do this. They get out of the jurisdiction. And by the way, it's not illegal if their name is signed on that account. But these new laws say, no, 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 wait a minute. We have some other guidelines that have to be passed. What about abuse? There, did you know there's many types of abuse? There's physical abuse. If someone's walking around with black eyes, bruised limbs, or broken bones, your antenna should go up and you ought to be say, able to say, uh, I wonder what's going on here. What about mental abuse? Villainous language, emotional tirades made on a, on a person. Spiritual abuse, the belittlement, the vindictive accusation. I hate you. You're a lousy parent. 
da 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 obscenities. Things that sink deep into a person's soul and demoralizes them to the place of depression and even despair. They begin to think, I am nobody, I, I'm a nothing, and so on. And here's the sad, sad truth. The bulk, bulk of all this abuse that I have been talking about this morning, the bulk of all this abuse is coming from their own children or grandchildren on whom they are dependent for their care. Real abuse. There is real abuse in our society. Now that's with the elderly. If we move to the other end of the age spectrum, we find the same similar abuse, same or similar, among children. The Penn State scandal of the coach who sexually abused multiple boys in the athletic program has received severe penalties from the NCAA that will set back the Penn State athletic program for years, and rightly so. But while Coach Sandusky will be imprisoned for his crimes, his 45 victims will still have to deal with the outcome. What came to the forefront of national news at Penn State remains a dirty secret in the homes countless others across our country who are victims of incest, verbal and physical abuse, torture, starvation, and the like. Some of our own assembly may have suffered such trauma as part of their past, but as children, they said nothing and they did nothing out of fear of reprisal, fear of a parent who, though not the perpetrator necessarily, would not have believed the report had the child been brave enough to give the report. Abuse is alive and well in our society and it thrives among the weak and the helpless, among the elderly and the infirm, among the children and the infants, and sadly everywhere in between there is real abuse in our wicked world. And as Christians, we do not sit around and should not sit around and say, eh, I don't think so. We need to realize things are going from bad to worse as we read in our text this morning. Paul predicted it's going to go from bad to worse. Now that brings us thirdly then to the biblical warnings and consequences. It's recorded of Ahaz, king of Judah, that he refused to live his life like that of his father David, his forefather. And you know that David was a godly man. But here we read of Ahaz. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, that is the northern ten tribes, but not one godly king in the northern ten tribes. I don't know if you know that. Not one of them was a godly king. They were all reprobates. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and even sacrificed his son in the fire following the detestable ways of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. 2 Kings 16, verse 3. Say, oh, oh, how could that happen? A father sacrificing his son to an idol god. Well, it happened. Prohibited in Leviticus 20, verse 2, say to the Israelites, God writes through Moses, 
Any Israelite or any alien living in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech, that's the idol, must be put to death. Put to death the parent. The people of the community are to stone him to death. The general complaint of God in Jeremiah's day. They built high places for Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech. Though I never commanded, nor did it ever enter my mind, that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. Jeremiah 32, verse 35. This is, this is wicked men doing these things. And God's saying, I had no part of it. In fact, I commanded against it. But they did it anyway. What about the elderly? We read when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see. Rebecca and her son Jacob took advantage of Israel's failed eyesight, tricked him into naming Jacob as the family head over his preference of Esau. Now God was in some of that, but doesn't make what they did right. Ah, he's old. <laughs> he's blind. He can't. He doesn't know any better. We can trick him. And they did. Generally, however, generally now, if we're talking about the elderly. Generally in Israel, the aged were respected and revered. Let me give it to you, this text. It's in the law, Leviticus 19, verse 32. Rise in the presence of the aged, in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. I'm the Lord. So that was a general modus operandi for all of the Israelite families. But you know, as they forsook God, they also forsook God's rules of conduct. God warned them, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the kings of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young man nor young woman nor old man nor aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. Second Chronicles 36, verse 15 through 17. You see the brutality against the elderly and against the young was a form of judgment from God, but these pagan nations didn't have to be taught to do these things. They already did these things. That was part of their paganism. It was part of their unbelief in the, in the holy God, in the righteous God. So God says, oh, I don't have to have you doing it. I'll just bring in one of these pagan nations and they'll treat you for They'll judge you for the way you have been doing. Deuteronomy 28, verse 50, predicted it all. It reads, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or pity for the young. There it is. It was coming upon Israel because of their idolatry. And that fierce nation, that godless nation, was Babylon. Sadly, brethren, this is our country today. 
It was predicted by the Lord himself as a sign of the end of the age. Let me read it for you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Hmm. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Matthew 10 verse 21. Our psychologists and social workers scratch their heads and they wonder about the escalation of child abuse and elder abuse in our country. I don't wonder about it. There's no mystery here. As our Christian nation has renounced its Christian roots and has shed its Christian teaching, a neo-paganism has emerged. Babylon has been resurrected. And according to Revelation, though she is doomed before judgment is finalized, she does bring about much sorrow, pain, and heartache. Let me read it for you. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay back her double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as a queen. I'm not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire. For mighty is the Lord God who judges her. Revelation 18, verse 2 and following. The influence of Babylon is upon us. The judgment of Babylon is pending. But it's sure. It's sure. That's our society. And it's as we have lost our Christian roots and practices and doctrines that we see an escalation, proliferation of the abuse. Wicked things that people do to one another. One more category of abuse that I haven't developed, and that's the abuse of Christians. What have we learned about abuse? Well, the online dictionary says, abuse is to treat in a harmful, injurious, or offensive way, to speak insultingly, harshly, unjustly to or about, to revile, to malign. That's abuse. Webster's dictionary says, when speaking about it in terms of language, language that condemns or vilifies usually unjustly, intemperately, and angrily. That's abusive language. So again, the abuse, it can be physical, it can be verbal, it can be mental, financial. You know, Paul experienced all these things written in our text that we read this morning. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, 
been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. They thought they were doing you a great favor by having 39 lashes, not 40. Uh, well, we'll beat him to within an inch of his life, but don't, don't do number 40. That'd be wrong. Do 39. You'd be okay. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. We talked about that in the adult class this morning. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have gone, often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27. What is he describing? He's describing a man on the run. And why is he on the run? Because the religious authorities and the pagan politicians of the day hated the message of the gospel. That's it. They hated what he was preaching. If you have been following the story of Dan Cathy, the Christian man who founded the food chain Chick-fil-A, you will discover there is nothing new under the sun. Mr. Cathley simply went on record, he simply went on record as endorsing, these are his words, the biblical definition of the family, family unit, end quote. Talking about husband, a man married to a woman, that's marriage. Nothing else is marriage, that's marriage. Immediately! The mayors of liberal cities insisted that the poultry giants stay out of their cities. Rahm Emanuel, mayor of Chicago, Edwin Lee, mayor of San Francisco, Thomas Menon of Boston, saying, you're not welcome here. Now, it's a free speech, a freedom of religion issue protected by the First Amendment of our Constitution. But none of this matters to the new Babylon. Do you understand? Suppression of the gospel is what matters, and abuse of Christians is what counts. And it's going to get worse, folks. It's already worse in third world countries where certain other religions have the dominance. What then are the biblical methods for handling abuse? It's real. It's out there. You may have been subject to it. You may have had to deal with it in your own family as you've been coming up through the ranks, what do you do about it? Well, number one, define abuse, abuse biblically and then act. Say, well, I don't want to get involved. Oh my, have I heard that one so many times. I don't want to get involved. In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him. And then they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. Now Samaritans were considered half-breeds because they were Jewish people who married Gentiles. So they were outcasts from 
the Jewish faith. Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, and he poured on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him, Luke 10, verse 30 through 34. And the context says he paid the innkeeper money. He says, I'm going to go away for a while. When I come back, if, if you've had any other charges, I'll pay for those too. He didn't just look the other way and say, Ooh, there's a guy all beaten bloody along the road. I don't want to get involved. Almost, almost every day you can read in the newspaper some horrendous crime happening in one of our cities and people looking out their windows and seeing it and they're too lazy even to dial 911. Why? Because the operator is going to take their name and address as a witness, just as a witness to what went on. Now be sure you assess the facts correctly. Is it abuse? Yeah, but once done, you need to step in where you can and help. One of the elder abuse laws that is now on the books protecting informers from lawsuits for reporting their suspicions. You don't, it doesn't have to be abuse, but if you think it is, they'll investigate. You won't get in trouble for making a false report or any of that. Now, the laws can be abused, yes, but think about the victim that you know or suspect is being abused. This guy bleeding along the road, there's no doubt there. Number two, we're not to take any personal or revenge, but you do have the obligation to inform on the one that is abusing you. Here's another thing. I don't want to get involved. I'm not going to tell. Do you know that abusers thrive on getting away with their crimes? They depend on secrets, intimidation, threats, maybe even a physical harm. If you say anything, I'm going to come back here and whip you. Well, that cycle has to be broken, not only for your own sake, but for the nameless, faceless others who may be being victimized by the same person that's hurting you. These people are sometimes predators. And I say this particularly to the young. After Job's three miserable counselors had finished, young Elihu stepped forward. And here's what he said. I am young in years, you guys are old. And that is why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know or what I thought. Age should speak, advanced years should teach wisdom. But, but, it is the spirit in a man, the breath of the Almighty, that gives him understanding. It is not only the old who are wise, not only the aged who understand what's right. And therefore I say, Job, listen to me. I will tell you what I know. Job 32, verse 6 through 10. And you know what? Instead of accusing 
Job of sinning and saying, you know, God's punishing you. That's why your sore boils all over. That's why you've lost your family, your fortune, and so forth. Instead of saying that, he told Job simply that maybe God was trying to teach him something through all his suffering that he could not otherwise learn when life was pleasant. And you know what? Elihu the young was right. Job's other counselors were condemned by God at the end of the book, but not Elihu. So tell someone, even if you are young, what's going on. Pray that God will give them the wisdom to listen. Number three, flee if you must and flee if you can. We cannot always escape the bad things that come into our lives, but if the opportunity arises, I say take it. The watchword of Jeremiah was this, flee from Babylon, run for your lives, do not be destroyed by their sins. It is time for the Lord's vengeance. He will pay her what she deserves. Jeremiah 51 verse 6. Don't stick around. Flee. The call of Christ in the revelation is similar. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, out of Babylon, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered his crimes. This whole idea that you have to stay and take it, that that's just part of life. That's just folly. You have an opportunity to flee, to be out on your own, to get out on your own. Now, I understand with children, we're dealing with something different here. They need an intercessor, someone that can go, go to the bat for them. But if, they, if this principle applies, do it. Number four. Abused people must commit themselves to Christ, the shepherd of their souls. If you're a believer, you have a resource that no one else has. Let me read it to you from Scripture. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. Here's what He will do. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways. When they carry out their wicked schemes, refrain from anger, turn from wrath, don't fret, it leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, you will not find them. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. The wicked plot against the righteous and they gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked for he knows their day is coming. Psalm 37, 5 through 13. He knows their day is coming because he's orchestrating it. Trust the Lord. Say, why would I ever go to the Lord? He doesn't know anything about abuse. Oh, really? Really? The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Matthew 26, verse 59. The text goes on. What do you think? 
He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spat in his face. Then they struck him with their fists. And others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? Luke's account says the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. And they said many other insulting things to him. Luke 22, verse 63 and following. Now, this is in the religious court. This is at the Sanhedrin. This is at Caiaphas' house in his courtyard. In Pilate's court, the abuse continued. Let me read it for you. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. You know what it was like to go under Roman flogging? People died just from flogging. It was so brutal. I'm reading on. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and they clothed him in a purple robe and they went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. John 19, verse 1 through 3. The writer of Hebrews says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tested like we are, yet was without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16. Don't ever say Jesus didn't know anything about abuse. Okay. So he was abused. What did Jesus do in his hour of severe trial and abuse? Peter tells us. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't make any threats. But what? Committed himself to him who judges righteously. 1 Peter 2, verse 23. When there was no justice being meted out from the human courts and the religious courts to Christ, he committed himself to the one who meets out righteousness and justice. Folks, this is liberating when you think about it. It's liberating. You do not have to carry the weight of abuse that others have heaped on you. You can cast it all on God. You can leave it to his justice. You do not have to live in shame. You do not have to live suffering regret. You do not have to be consumed with bitterness towards others. You do not have to live as an angry person. You can leave it to God to judge the abusers grant you a righteous outcome which he has promised to do. And wonder of wonders, he may save your abuser if you can pray for your enemy and those who despitefully use you. And I say that to all sinners today. 
It doesn't matter if you've been the victim of abuse, some other person's sin being perpetrated on you, or if you're guilty of your own sin that you've done to others or towards God. You need Christ. You need Christ. This one who has suffered much is forgiving and full of mercy. May you find peace in him today. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. May we never accuse you of not understanding what it means to be abused. There was no one more abused than you. Tortured for doing good. Crucified for representing God and his word accurately. Mockery, jeers, insults, physical abuse, mental abuse. You had it all. And then they crucified you. In the next service, just shortly, we're going to remember what happened at Calvary. But for now, let's remember, there's mercy to be found at the foot of the cross, the cross of Christ. Why is he on the cross? It is to pay the penalty for the sins of his people, for those times when we've been abusive. And we've said things that we shouldn't have said. And our tongue has wagged and it should have been bridled. But we let it wag anyway, and we let it rip and cut, like James says, like the two-edged sword that it is. And we've shredded people with our tongues. And we've hurt them. Or we have been too rough on our kids in our physical discipline. Or we, God forbid, have slapped a spouse or hurt them. Or we've embezzled money from our parents or our grandparents. We've taken what doesn't belong to us. God forgive us. There's mercy to be found in Jesus Christ. Turn our life around. Help us not to be ostrich. Help us not to bury our head in the sand so that we can say, well, I didn't see. Well, I didn't see. No, but we knew. We knew. We didn't do anything about it. God forgive us. Help us to be responsible citizens and godly Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn, brethren, is from the Brown Hymnal number 415. Jared will come 415 in the Brown Hymnal. Stand together, he giveth more grace when the burden grows greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he adds his mercy, and to multiplied trials, he gives multiplied peace. Yeah.
scriptures and so forth, that's fine. But the answer's in the book. And the book talks about our God. We're going to take a ten minute break uh, and then regather for the Lord's table. So let's do that and when you hear the music, regather. Mm -hmm. 